We're going to let the uh, children be dismissed for junior church this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Timothy, because there is something that does not change. Uh, my memory is fickle and changes quite frequently. Uh, I forget so much. But God has blessed us with the tool in our lives to help us to remember His, uh, His glorious truth, and that is the Word of God. What we have the privilege of lying on our laps this morning, most people in the world do not have this privilege, and we are blessed by God to have His Word in front of us that we can read and study and live by and learn for His glory. This morning I want to ask you a question because it's going to lead into a series of sermons that I'll be doing in the next month and a half or so, and it is this question, what is the mission of the church? Why do we exist? What is our purpose? And I don't think that the answer to that question should be found by sitting around in meetings trying to create a purpose statement or vision statement for the church. I think we should go to the Word of God and say, what does God say the purpose for His church is? And then ask the question, how do we successfully communicate that vision for the church to the next generation, to the generation that we, by God's grace, have been called to live in? Matthew 28, 19, and 20, I think, is the church's vision statement. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, all people groups. Baptize them in the name of the Father. Publicly identify them with Jesus Christ. That is His command. And then teach them to do everything that I have told you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So, as I heard yesterday and have heard in the past, the vision of the church is to make more, that's evangelism, and better disciples for Christ, for the glory of God. It's that simple. We exist to see people who do not know Christ come into a personal relationship with Christ. Those who come to know Christ publicly identify with the church. I am part of the body of Christ. I am not the body of Christ. I am part of it. And then to teach them how to become better and more effective followers of Jesus so that in the end, the goal of our lives is that God is magnified, amplified, and glorified in the experience of every Christian. That's why we exist to make more and better disciples so that Father in Heaven is glorified. And the reason we put that last little part in there is this. It's not about me as a pastor. So easy to want it to be. So easy. It's not about you. You shouldn't go to a church saying, what do I get out of it? It's not the purpose. We don't exist to bless you. We exist to glorify God. And when God, our Father, is glorified, every child of His is delighted. That's worship. When we are caught up in the wonder of who He is as He is magnified through our lives, our daily experience. So we exist to see people come to know Christ, to grow in Christ for the glory of the Father. Now, when I talk about church life, when people ask me, Tim, what is the chapel about? One of the core principles I try to tell people is this. We are striving to be a biblical church. We're not interested in coming in, line with, in alignment with any particular heritage or denomination. Our desire is to be biblical. To orient our lives and our church life around the priorities that the Word of God establishes. It is to be a biblical church filled with biblical Christians who are in process becoming better disciples of the Savior. 
That is, if I was going to just summarize, everything we should be doing should be targeted towards reaching out to the world around us and seeing those that then come to Christ grow to know the Savior better. And then this goal, that we would together worship Him, living our lives for His glory. Now, how do we become a biblical church? And I think the answer to that should be somewhat simple. The way we become a biblical church is by immersing ourselves in this book, the Word of God. There is no other way to become a biblical church except by observing and doing what this book says. There's no way for me to be a biblical parent apart from knowing what God says about parenting. There's no way for me to be a biblical pastor apart from knowing what does God say I am to do. There's no way to be a biblical mom apart from knowing what God says about biblical parenting. There's no way. So this morning, my challenge to you is going to be to find the place of Scripture in your Christian life. Find the place of the Word of God in your daily experience. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us why this should be the focus of our attention every week. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. Therefore, and it is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God, a generic, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that every believer may become more and more equipped for every good work, to become followers of Christ and to become better followers of Christ for His glory. And this passage of Scripture tells me a couple things that I think are essential and vital to our experience as a church. This verse tells me that this book is the Word of God. It is inspired or God-breathed. When you read this book, you are hearing the voice of God. I don't know about you, but that to me, when I really sit down and think about that, that's a stunning reality that when this is read publicly in the church God is speaking it is the very word of God there's so much more I could say about that from the philosophical perspective but this morning I just want to make that assertion this is the touchstone by which we should test everything it is the benchmark by which we should measure what is morally right and inappropriate it is the Word of God. And when it is taken into a life, it thoroughly equips individuals for every God-glorifying work that they can accomplish. So we should make this book a priority in our lives. This morning, I just want to ask this simple question. How can I become a more biblical follower of Christ? And the answer is this. Test every decision in your life on the basis of this Word now notice what I didn't say. I didn't say if you want to become a better follower of Christ, listen to what I have to say on Sunday morning and go and do it. In fact, I would encourage you to do this. Take everything I say on Sunday morning and test it according to this. If you don't see it in the Word of God, please do not do it. I fear that my opinion or the opinion of others in the reading of books or listening to sermons tends to shape our belief systems apart from the Word of God. So my desire in preaching is to be, as one writer says, tethered to Scripture, 
not just bouncing around, preaching topical sermons, finding scripture to justify what I want to say. I believe my job is to preach the word. And if you look at the beginning of the next chapter, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1. After elevating and exalting scripture to this high place of priority, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, this verdict. Preach the word. Be prepared. In season and out of season. That is to say, when it is palatable and when it's not palatable. When people like the declaration of truth and when they don't like the declaration of truth, still proclaim, this is the word of the Lord. Or, thus saith the Lord. So test everything I say, even this morning, according to this touchstone. How can I become a better and more biblical follower of Christ so that the world around me will see a true believer who has been transformed by the power of the Spirit of God as he applies the Word of God to their life. How can that happen? I'm going to give you four words, and I borrow these words only from a sermon I heard, I think three years ago, by John Piper. He was talking about the importance and place of the Word of God. And these four words stuck in my mind. And if you know me well, you know that's unique. Because my mind, as my one friend tells me, is like a caterpillar. It's short and fuzzy. So I'm going to give you this morning four words that are intended to help you when you think about what should the place of this book be in my life. Does it really matter that I haven't picked it up for three weeks? You may be asking yourself. Or for some longer. Does it really matter if my relationship with this letter from God is sporadic at best? Does it really matter if the only time I open it up is on Sunday morning so I appear to be in touch with what God is seeking to do? This morning, friends, I want to tell you, oh yeah, it matters. And I can guarantee you this. If you're not saturating your life in the Word of God, it's showing up in your life all over the place. I guarantee you it is. And you're trying to fix your life through therapeutic resolutions and decisions. I have help for you this morning. This book is alive. It's powerful. Hebrews 4, 12 says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It discerns between what you're doing and why you're doing it. It uncovers your motives if you allow it to work by the power of the Spirit in your heart. It will change you. And my desire this morning is just to cultivate in you a desire to be in this book that I have God given a charge every Sunday morning. Preach the word. And if you find me drifting off into telling stories instead of preaching the word of God, I want to ask you to do something. Hold me accountable. If I start showing all kinds of video clips to be interesting and I avoid preaching the word of God, hold me accountable. I ask you to do that for me. Because this book will change your life if you're willing to encounter it on a regular basis. So, four very simple words, and I'm just going to tie this in to Joshua chapter 1 in, in just a moment. First word is this. If you're taking the notes that are in your bulletin, receive the Word of God. Receive it. Say, Pastor Tim, how do I do that? Well, I'm going to give you a test real quick. Tell me out loud how you can receive the Word of God. Go ahead. Okay, try it louder. 
Okay, open the book. What else? Okay, someone, come on, someone from the Bible laws, tell me how you can receive the Word of God. Read it. All right, good. All right, let's try Lucas. How do I receive the Word of God? Okay, memorize it. What's another way? Coming down to John Tadona. Okay, what are we doing right now? Okay, you're studying and listening to the Word of God through fellowship, through small groups. Talk about the Word of God. Okay, there are a number of different ways in which you can receive the Word of God in your life. Okay, the critical thing is that there is a, are portals of intake where I receive avenues through which the Word of God is bombarding my life. Why? It, when it comes, God is speaking. And when God speaks, life's change. Life's change. So, Receive the word of God. I think that is why in 2 Timothy 4.1, the charge is there. Timothy, preach the word regularly, habitually. Make it the content of what you say when you get up to communicate to the people of God. Preach the word. Okay, so we need to receive it. And we do it by listening to it. We do it by reading it. You and I have this awesome privilege in our houses, probably multiple copies, multiple versions that we can open this up and hear from God. The settings in which we do that as a church family are on Sunday morning, in our Sunday school program for our kids, in our junior church program for our kids, in our family Bible memory program. It is a, an opening, an avenue through which the Word of God wants to come into your life. In small group settings, one-on-one, sitting at diners on, 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 on Wednesday and Tuesday morning, sitting in the Slacks home on Monday night, May God raise up within our church a number of places where this book is given its due hearing. May He give us places in our church where this book has the effect that God wants it to have in our lives. It is so precious and yet so underestimated. Will you turn with me back to the book of Joshua real quickly? Joshua chapter 1, sixth book in the Old Testament. If you would just turn there with me real quick. I'll give you the three other words. First one is to read it. That is through listening and hearing and receiving in various contexts the truth of God's word. One of you mentioned another way that we receive the word of God and I think it is borne out in Joshua chapter 1. The quick setting on the book of Joshua is Joshua has, uh, has ended his tenure as vice president of the nation of Israel. The president, Moses, has died And when you come to verse 1 of Joshua chapter 1, powerful, powerful statement. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua. Now that to me is an amazing statement. God came and personally visited Joshua with his word. And that is what Joshua has recorded for us here. I want you to drop down to verse 6 to find what is God saying to Joshua, here's what he says. Joshua, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. You, Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful in whatever you do. Do not, and listen to this, folks, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful, diligent to do everything written in it because then you will make your way prosperous 
and you will be successful. What a powerful set of verses from the Lord to Joshua, who was probably overwhelmed by the God-giving commission. Joshua, you will lead this people into the land. And the first thing that God says to Joshua after giving him his God-given calling and purpose is be courageous in the context of my word. Let my word rule and dominate your entire life, Joshua. Now I'll give you the next three words. Receive the word of God. Secondly, memorize the word of God. If I was to put this in a different word, I would give you the word. It's about information. Memorize the word of God. Get the content of it into your heart and mind. Now I ask you this question. Is there a command in this passage of Scripture to memorize the Word of God? Better question, is there a command anywhere in the Bible to memorize the Word of God? Because if there is a command to memorize the Word of God and I don't do it, what am I? It's hard to say this, isn't it? I'm disobedient to God. In other words, I'm being a sinner. I'm a rebel. God says, memorize my Word. And I say, no. When our kids responded like that, we had a definition for that. That was rebellion. That was sin. That was denying a God-given authority. God says, I believe in this text very clearly, beginning at verse 8, do not let this book depart from your hand. No. Don't let this book depart from your mouth. And that's going to become very important in, in, in just a few moments when we look a little further. I want you to listen to Psalm 119, verse 9. And tell me if this doesn't command us to memorize the Word of God. How can a young man keep his way pure? Mom and dad, in the world that we live in, with the abundance of temptations, have you ever wondered if your sons and daughters will keep their way pure? I so hope you have. I so hope you have. I hope it has kept you awake at night praying and crying out to God for the purity of your children. But I hope you understand that memorizing the Word of God is one of the key relationships that you need to have with the Word of God and that they need to have with the Word of God so that they can be kept pure. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your Word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. And then this statement, I have hidden your Word in my heart. What is that? I have hidden your word in my heart. The word hidden simply means to treasure and pile up. Now folks, I don't have another common word for that in my my, uh, culture apart from the word memorize it. Memorize it. Know it. Don't let it depart from your mouth is the way that Joshua puts it. Let it be there resting on your tongue, resting on your mind, resting in your life. Let it guide and direct your life. We need to be Christians who memorize God's Word because it is critical that we, in our interactions with people around us, learn to think biblically. We learn to respond to moral issues from a biblical perspective, not from a Republican perspective or a Democratic perspective. But what does God say? That should be the governing thought. Not a party spirit, but how do we understand and acknowledge God's glory in these things? Ephesians 6.10 is powerful. 
Because it is the passage of Scripture that defines the armor by which a Christian protects himself from the assaults of the evil one. And at the end of that text, there is one instrument that is meant for offensive activity. And do you know what it is? Here's what the Bible says. You finish this. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now folks, here's an assumption I have. If I don't take the sword of the Spirit like God tells me to, and I can assume nothing more than He means to commit it to your heart, to know it, so you can live it. If I don't do that, what am I? Okay, I'm living in disobedience to God's plan for how I succeed in this life for His glory. I had the blessing of growing up in a Christian home attending a Christian school, and attending a Christian college. In eighth grade in my home school, they had a Bible memory contest, 130 verses. Now, you all know my memorizing issues, okay? My mom didn't know I had those issues. So her goal my eighth grade year was that I would win the $50 certificate called the Ralph Woodland Award for Bible memory at Calvary Baptist School. I tried to enlighten her as to my inadequacies. She didn't buy it. Got cruising through the air, sat on my bed every night. Impressing upon my mind the word of God. I remember in Sunday school classes, I remember in college, I remember in various settings in my life where the Word of God, memorizing it so that the sword of the Spirit would be present in my hand, which is part of my experience. And that eighth grade year, we got to about the middle of the year, and the girl, there, was, there was only two of us that emerged who actually cared, or actually had a parent who cared about how you were doing. The girl's name was Pam Lynch. To this day, I bid her adieu. Got to that point in the year, she missed one preposition in writing out her verse. And I celebrated because I forgot the verse about humility. I had not missed a word up to that point. I went, I, and this probably sounds like bragging, and it is, okay? I went through that whole year because of my mom. That had nothing to do with me, I want to tell you that. It was not out of desire on my part to do well. It was out of submission to her authority in my life. 130 verses all year retroactively recallable through the whole year. You sit down in Bible class and they ask you to write down this verse out of the hundred that you memorized that point. I went through the whole year without missing a single word. And the reason that happened is because my mom thought it was important that I memorize the Word of God. I want to tell you something. In my life today as a pastor, when I went through college, when I went through seminary, guess what kept running through my mind? the Word of God, that had been impressed upon my heart, not only in that class, but in Sunday school classes, in junior church classes, in college classes, just memorizing and memorizing and memorizing the Word of God. With the result that that Word of God is at the ready. And, and I, I'm going to tell you something. In the last 15 years of my life, I'm, I'm going to confess to you that I have not obeyed God consistently in the area of Bible memory, to my shame. I'm one of those parents who wishes he had done more with his kids in this regard. And I'll say it in front of them. 
I wish I had done more with the opportunities that God gave. In the last year, year and a half, God has convicted me about this issue, and it might even be a result of listening to the sermon that I heard from John Piper, about the importance of having the sword of the Spirit so that I could respond to the lies and the deception that are so prevalent that all of us know about. And I just want to give you this challenge as your pastor. Would you take time? And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I can't what? I can't memorize. I can't do that. Well, neither can I. Okay, there are some verses that come to me easy, and there are some verses that come to me so hard. Ephesians 6, 18. I am fighting with that verse. Okay, Jeremiah 33, 2-3. I got that one in like a week. Okay, and it's longer. For some reason, it was, it was easier. Here's what I do. I write verses on a card. You know why? I can't survive without the Word of God. I can't make it without this. So I memorize the promises of God that hold me faithful in my calling before God, that encourage my heart when there is fear or anxiety, that challenge me when I'm confronted in, in terms of temptation. Memorize the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit which, by which you defeat the attacks of the evil one. So friends, I just pour this out to you as a call. Would you adjust your life? Would you adjust your personal time so that you can memorize passages? And I try to bring these out in, in, in sermons where I'll try to mention a verse that I'm trying to memorize for your encouragement. You might write it down and say, okay, God, I want this verse to become part of my life. I want it in my arsenal of weapons that I have available to respond to the attacks of the evil one. I want to communicate these truths to my friends. So I can encourage them because I'm responsible not only for my own well-being. God help me. I'm responsible for the well-being of my brothers and sisters in Christ that are my friends. And when they ask me for help, I ought to give them biblical counsel. Can I give you a few illustrations real quick? When you face anxiety, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your request known before God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Face anxiety. Face anger. Ephesians 4.30. The wrath of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I want to tell you something. Most of these I memorized in 8th grade. That's why I quote in the King James. Okay, if you wonder why it sounds different, it is. Okay, I just eliminate the V's. Wrestling with selfishness. Don't look out for your own interest. Look out for the interest of others. Philippians chapter 2. Teen, you're wrestling with rebellion before mom and dad. Here's what God says. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord. Fight your rebellion by taking the sword of the Spirit. If you're battling with lust, here's what Job says. Jeremiah, uh, the book of Job 31.1 I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon a woman to lust. I memorized that verse two years ago at the men's conference. Never saw that verse before. I heard it. I so said, you know what? I need that verse to help to protect my heart. Attacks from Satan, James chapter 4 and verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Folks, what is that? That's a precious promise. That when you're under attack, stand up. Man up to the attack. Woman up to the attack. God has a promise for you. Take that sword and defeat the attacks of the evil one. For the glory of God. 
temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. With the temptation, He'll make a way out so you can stand up under it. When you face the temptation, you need to know that. You need to remember what, what Joseph said. We studied this this morning in Sunday school. Genesis 39. He's tempted by Potiphar's wife, and he looks at Potiphar's wife, and here's a verse to memorize. He says, how can I do this and sin against God? You want a way to fight sin? Call it what it is. It is the stealing of the glory of God by behavior that does not honor Him. And you need to know the behavior that honors Him. The Word of God will help you do that. And I love this verse for fear. Romans 1.20 The God of peace will soon crush Satan under His you all torn up inside are you filled with anxiety because of what's happening in the world that you live in financially and you're wondering when the shoe's going to drop in your life memorize the word of God and when Satan wants to drag you out of bed in the morning and beat you up with fear which he does to me virtually every Sunday morning at 4 o'clock I almost don't want to hear my alarm clock on Sunday morning. Because the assault is virtually instant. You've got to fight back. You've got to say, Satan, you know what? Soon, Father is going to crush you under his feet. Get out of my way. You gotta, you know, what, what, I don't know what your battles are. I don't know what your unique struggles are. I know some of the ones that are common in this room. Because I'm normal. Well, relatively speaking. I know what they are. And you need to know verses from the Word of God that you have memorized. But I want to take you one step further. Okay? You need to receive the Word of God. You need to memorize it. Here's what you need to do also. You need to meditate on the Word of God. It is not enough simply to have information in your mind that you did not have before. So you respond and say, well, now I know verses. It's not enough. And this text takes you further. Notice what God says to Joshua. Don't let this law, this book of the law, depart from your mouth. Now, you get, you get two choices here. Okay, either Joshua went around with scrolls sticking out of his mouth, or he memorized the Word of God. One of two. One of two. Okay, so I'm not going to go around like this. Promise. Okay? But God wants it there. God wants it at the ready. He wants it to be my response to times of temptation. But I want you to notice what he says. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Instead, and this is in the imperative. That means it is a command from God. But meditate on it day and night. You know what God said to me through this? When you wake up to your alarm clock on Sunday morning, think about me. Think about my word. Let it encourage your heart so that you can serve and minister in freedom, in my power, not in yours. Because you wake up afraid, because you are. You feel inadequate, because you are. I want to help you. Folks, I believe God wants that for every one of His children. I think it's why He says to Joshua, meditate on this. Folks, if I'm not thinking about the Word of God as I go through my day, I'm not obeying this command. Let's call it what it is. I'm going to tell you something. It is very hard to cultivate a pattern of meditation upon the Word of God if you don't have someone that you share the Word of God with on a regular basis. 
My experience has been this. Read it, memorize it, and share it, and then you will meditate on it. It's like any good principle in life. You learn it. You know it. You go communicate it to someone. Here's what happens. It is etched in your mind. Because you're getting all of your senses involved. You're making it your life. So, receive it. Memorize it. And then meditate. And the word meditate, simply, I'll just give you the simple definition. It means to speak or to mutter. So, Pastor Tim, if I do that at work, people are going to think I'm weird. You know what this word means? It means to talk to yourself. So now you have biblical justification. And you can answer yourself. Just don't say, huh? Don't don't do that. Meditate on it to mutter. The idea is to mull over, to think it through over and over and over again till its deep richness begins to impact your life. I ask you this question this morning. Before God, not before me. Do you have a habit of meditating on the Word of God? Because for Joshua, going into his battle, it was marching orders. It was military attire for Joshua. And if he didn't have it on, he was not prepared from God's perspective. Do you meditate Psalm 1 and verse 2 says this. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it. And here it comes again. Day and night he will be like a tree firmly planted beside rivers of water. His leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. What a precious promise. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't memorize God's word, you can't meditate on it. And allow its richness to seep through your life. Like water into a sponge. I want to give you this idea. I think memorizing God's word is about information. It is getting it on my heart so that it is at the ready. It is available. Meditating on God's word is about a life that is saturated and infiltrated at every level by the word of God. Is my life, are my decisions, are my responses, my knee-jerk responses... Are they biblical? Is my life so infiltrated and saturated by Scripture that I think biblically, I think there was, was it on American Idol? I think I heard this on the news where the guy, the Spanish singer won and he started to give his thanks in Spanish. Does anybody, anybody see that? Okay, so basically what the guy did is he just knee-jerk in his jubilation and joy at winning, he began to automatically speak his mother tongue. Would it not be glorious if we in the church, when faced with circumstances, with our kids, with lust, with something at work, whatever it is, if we would think biblically that that would be the thoughts and meditation of our heart, think about what that would be like. That can't happen if I don't memorize it and then saturate my life in it by thinking about it, by delighting in it day and night. I put this question in my notes. Do you want this for your children? Do you want them to have a life that is saturated in the Bible? Do you take them to a church that preaches the Bible? Do you get them in Sunday school classes where the Word of God is heard? Because if it's not heard and known, you can't meditate on it. 
And if you can't meditate on it, you can't take the next step that I'm going to give you. Are you taking advantage of the God-given opportunities of a Bible memory program within our church family? Do you see how vital this is? Number four is this. You need to mind the Word of God. Simple definition of minding. It means to obey it. To obey it. I told you a couple weeks ago I was shocked when uh, Tony called me. Reading his Bible. As a new Christian, Spirit of God illuminating the text, lighting up the Scriptures, making things make sense. And he calls me and says, I need to get baptized. I said, I didn't tell you you need to get baptized. I said, I read it in my Bible. It's what God says. I told him my response to him was, you think God wants you to do what he says? Because that makes you unique in the church. Folks, it will not help you to receive the word of God right now. You can sit there and listen. But if you don't memorize it, commit it to memory, and then meditate on it day and night, you will not obey it. Or you will live with a limited scope in terms of what God wants from your life. So the four words, first receive it, then memorize it, meditate on it, and mind it. And the mind it step, I'm going to give you this word, it means application. First step is information, that's all it is. Then infiltration and saturation, gaining a conviction as the Spirit of God illuminates the text that this is how he wants me to respond to this temptation or to this sin or this circumstance. This is something he does not want me to say. And then I say, Lord, I'm all ears. James chapter 1 and verse 20. Be doers of the word and not hearers only who deceive themselves. You know what James is saying? If you know the word of God, but you don't meditate on it and mind it, you're self-deceived. You're self-deceived and so am I. So my question for you this morning is this. Will you up your relationship with the Word of God. Will you make a, a definitive decision to say, God, my relationship with this book has been at very best weak, and it's wrong. I don't memorize your Word. I'm living in sin. I don't read this book. I'm living in sin. And I'm weak as a result. I don't meditate on it, and as a result, I'm not living it out in its fullness. And this morning, friends, I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to go to God in the quietness where you're sitting and say, God, you know what? My relationship with this book needs to change. It needs to change. I need to know it and put it into practice in my life so that we as a church can be becoming more and better followers of Jesus. Folks, I want this to be the foundation of our church. I want you to come every Sunday to bring your Bible. Say, I expect that Pastor Tim, when he speaks, will share the Word of God. Just like last night when I took my wife and my two daughters to the diner, I expected food. And when I ordered and got food, I was not surprised. I wasn't like, oh, wow, they have food here. It was like, that's what diners serve. Folks, we ought to get here every Sunday morning. There should be a diet on this. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, alone or with some brothers or sisters in Christ, friends in Christ, just devouring this book, 
meditating on it, sharing it with each other, saying, God, change us, not the way we want to be changed, but change us biblically. Change us biblically. Would you pray and say, God, I want a renewed passion for this book. I've been asking God to do that for me. You should see three by five cards in my pocket. If you stop seeing them, confront me. Ask me, are you memorizing scripture? You know, here's the problem. We won't go to each other because we don't, we don't trade in deep enough relationships where we can go to each other and say, hey, how's it going in Bible memory for you? Right? You say, well, you, you think I should do that? Oh, I believe you have a biblical responsibility to do that. And I have a group of people I seek to do that with. And I think it is God's plan that we go out together to live this life for his glory. You say, well, Pastor Tim, that's scary. That's not what men do. It's what biblical men do. It's what biblical women do. It's what biblically oriented young people do. They don't live in isolation and they don't see Sunday morning as enough. Because what happens here is not the full extent of the purpose of the church. By far, it is not. And so I want to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you hard to step up and to say, are we, as a church, gathered here is one thing, but are we, as we go out from here, biblical in our orientation? Do we receive, memorize, meditate on, and mind all of God's word? Would you bow your heads with me this morning?